And take your Bibles this morning, please turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 this morning, we continue with our portraits of Christ. We took a couple weeks off on purpose because we wanted to line up with Resurrection Sunday. And so John chapter 18 talks about the betrayal of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I know that we're still a couple weeks away from that time. But you know, it's interesting, usually on Resurrection Sunday, everybody's preaching about the crucifixion. I want to preach about an empty grave. And so we'll deal with the crucifixion now, we'll deal with the empty grave uh, in two weeks' time, amen? John chapter 8, we've had some good music this morning. I I enjoy that that opening hymn the choir sang, Our Great Savior, is one of my favorite hymns. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, Jesus, Savior, makes me whole. And just what a wonderful message, and I just like that so much. And then that old hymn, And Can It Be, that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love. Died he for me, who caused him pain? Well, what a great, great hymn. The only thing that disappoints me is we, we got these new hymn books about four years ago, and they left out that verse about Paul and Silas. My chains fell off. That verse is gone. Man, that was one of the greatest verses of song ever written, I think, but... For whatever reason, they left it out of our hymn book. But enjoy those old hymns. I, they, I'm telling you, they, they speak to the heart. They don't minister to the flesh. They minister to the soul. And they are a great help. John chapter 18. I was up here joking with Brother Paul a few minutes ago. I've soaked through some hankies here. And I'm wondering what Benny Hinn gets one of these for now. How much they get for those. And uh, he's selling those things, isn't he? And making all kinds of money and having a mansion. And me, I get to throw them in the trash. All right, John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, let's do this. Let's do it differently. Let's pray this morning. And then I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole chapter because we'll not likely get through the whole chapter. I just want to read the whole chapter and then we'll make some comments as I read. And so that way we will already have prayed and asked for God's help to understand what we're reading. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, today, and I'm so thankful that in our weakness you are made strong, and I need your strength today. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help my body to to endure the next half hour or so, and Father, fill me with thy Holy Spirit and give my voice strength. And Father, I pray, Lord, that most importantly, that Jesus Christ would be seen. We thank you so much for our study through the book of John and these portraits of Christ, and today as we consider our rejected Savior, Lord, we must understand what Jesus went through, and how he suffered and he died, but victoriously rose again. But he did all that for us. So Father, may the Spirit of God touch our hearts in some way today and teach us and grow us. Father, we thank you. We surrender to you and ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where there was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. Now, of course, the timing here, we've left off for a couple weeks, so let me refresh your memory, is just after the Last Supper, the Lord's table, as they gathered there and ministered, washed the disciples' feet. Judas has gone out to betray him. Peter has said that he would never deny Christ. Christ says, you'll deny me three uh, three times before the cock crows. And and so we've accomplished all of that, and Jesus has finished speaking to the disciples And he went across the brook Kedron to pray in the garden uh, there of Gethsemane. In verse 2, And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. This was not a secret place. 
As a matter of fact, we, we were able to visit this place a couple years ago. I got a great picture of Brother McPherson there in the, in the Mount of Olives. And you can see the Temple Mount and just down through you can see uh, the city. There's a graveyard now today. And then finally you come to this little brook, the valley there. You come back the other side and there's the Mount of Olives. And then those olive trees, they say, are some of them are 2,500 years old. So they were the same trees that Christ and his disciples prayed under on a regular basis. And it's just a beautiful little garden there. And it's, it's not hidden. It's not secret. And so it's no wonder that Judas would know where this place was. Verse 3, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said of them, Whom seek ye? Verse 4 struck me this week as I've been reading and praying. The Bible says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him. Jesus is not looking back at the past and seeing how his life has been shaped and formed and making some sort of assumption here. The Bible says he knows exactly what should come to pass. You know, we, we often like to do that. We, we, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? And we come to a point in our life and we say, you know what, the Lord is leading me in this direction and I, I can sense it and I can feel it and I know it. I've confirmed it with scripture. And it seems like all the events of my life, the Lord has been preparing me and forming me for this very moment. For whatever task God has placed before them. That was not the case with Jesus. And yes, it is true that God had been shaping him and, and, and shaping the events of the world. The Bible says it was at the right time, the appointed time that the Messiah should come. And this was the right time for Christ. And yet, this was not one of those assumptions. This was not him groping in the darkness or stepping out by faith. This Jesus knew knowing all things that should come upon him. Can you imagine having that knowledge? This is not just a man on death row. But Jesus was also aware of the mockings, the beatings, the scourgings, being spit upon, having his beard plucked from his face, being slapped. He, he knew all that was leading up to the moment of his death. He was faced with that stark reality and I want you to notice the scripture does not say that he retreated further into the garden. He did not try to hide. The Bible says instead, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth. He embraced the cross. He went and he met those that would come to take him captive. And he did it willingly for you and for I. The Bible says if we'll read on verse 5, then answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. We're going to come back to these verses in a few moments after we finish reading the scripture, but let this thought permeate your thinking for the next few moments while we read. How did Jesus feel? standing opposed to these men and noting in the Bible that Judas stood with them. His friend, the one he loved, the one he trusted with the bag, their treasurer, if you will, 
And yet he stood with them. Opposed to Christ. The ones that would come to crucify him, the ones that would come to arrest him, the ones that would beat him and scourge him and mock him and drag him off to Caiaphas and to Pilate and to Herod throughout the night and go through all of that nonsense, Judas stood with them. Let me ask you this morning, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Let's read on. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he. I, boy, I love this. Read verse six with me again. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Man, I like that. There's another passage of scripture that says there was four quaternions of soldiers with them. There's, this wasn't just a small group. This was a large group of soldiers and, and there was uh, the, the, uh, so the Sanhedrin were there and Judas was there and there was other temple guards there and four quaternions of soldiers and Jesus stepped forward and he said, I am he and they all fell down. And there's power in the word of Christ. Verse seven, then asked he them again, whom seek ye? Boy, I'd be afraid to answer that time. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. The saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. <clears throat> and Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Melchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first. And he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of the man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I speak openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. And I have said unto them, Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him about unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. 
Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now note verses 29 and on, just for a moment, will you? Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. There were no charges. Pilate said, what are you charging him with? Oh, just trust us. He's a male factor. But there was nothing they could say. There was nothing they could could pin to him that would stick. Now look what it says in verse 31. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him, and judge him according to your law. Well, they couldn't do that. Why? The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Their motives were not to give him a fair trial. Their motives were to put him to death. And they knew that if they judged him by their laws, the Old Testament, the word of God, that he'd be found not guilty. For he came to fulfill the law. So he said, our law doesn't allow us to put a man to death. We have to judge him by your laws. Well, what law has he broken? Oh, just trust us, he's a male factor. They accused him wrongly. Verse 32 says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this of the thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee, or tell it of thee of me? Pilate answered him, I a Jew, thine own nation, and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Turn, if you will, back to John 18 and verse 4. I want you to notice with me today the thing that struck me in verses 4 and 5, and if you'll read with me again, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and saith unto them, who seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he, and Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. A line was clearly drawn. Who do you seek? Do you know that Jesus only has to ask that question to people who may not know who he is? 
For everybody that knew Christ was on the same side as Christ. They were there in the garden that night praying together. There was one that was conspicuously absent. His name was Judas. And when Jesus was surveying the crowd and looking around and noticed that those that were on the other side, he says, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible takes note that Jesus, which be, or Judas, which betrayed him, stood with them. There was a line drawn. And Judas had clearly crossed over. I want to suggest to you this morning, and if you will keep this context in your mind as we study the next few weeks through the rest of the book of John, that I believe that from the, this point in the book of John till the end of the book, that that question is being asked constantly in the lives of each of the disciples. What side are you on? Where do you stand? We see that throughout the rest of the, even this chapter, Peter's wrestling with it, isn't he? Just a, a few moments earlier, as before they crossed that book, Brook Kidron and uh, went up into the Mount of Olives there, they were sitting at a table and they were having a meal together and Peter said, I will die for thee. Jesus says, no, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. Peter says, I'll never deny you. But in this very chapter, we see that Peter denied Jesus three times. There's a wrestling match in his heart. What side are you on, Peter? Peter, who do you, are you with me or are you with them? Where, where are you standing? Peter, the Bible says in verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Melchus. Let me say this this morning, friend, and please, I don't know how long I could preach, but please get this point. I don't care how loud and vocal you are for Jesus Christ, Peter was not standing on the side of Christ. He was the one that says, I'll never deny you. He was the one that was willing to take out a sword and cut off a servant's ear. He was willing to take on four quaternions, a soldier all by himself. He was willing to run into the fray and fight blood and guts just to try to save the Lord Jesus Christ on that hill that night. But friends, he wasn't truly with Christ. For all it would take would be a little damsel to come along and say, I know you, you're a Galilean, you were with them. No, it wasn't me. I'm not with Christ. You see, we can vocalize that we're a child of God and we can sing the hymns and we can smile and we can brush our teeth and comb our hair and dress up on a Sunday, but friends, it doesn't mean you're with Christ. This verse struck me as I examined my own heart. I said, Lord, the Bible does say, doesn't it? Yea, we have prophesied in thy name and we've cast out devils in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You say, well, I work on the bus routes and I work in Sunday school and I teach this and I teach that and I, I tell others about Jesus and I disciple souls. Friends, I, it doesn't matter what you're doing for Christ. Let me ask you, are you with Christ? Is he in your heart? Does he dwell in you richly? Does it bring you great joy to know the Savior? I can tell you this. 
I can tell you exactly, I, I, one of the things in my life that I know right away if my heart's not right in tune with God, so I'll come into a service and we'll sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And I get halfway through the song and go, why isn't this doing anything for me? Because that's one of my favorite hymns. And then there's another Sunday where I can sing that song and tears are coming to my eyes and it just breaks my heart to think that Jesus loved me. That Jesus died for me. That he was willing to go through all this shame and suffering for me. I don't know, Peter seemed to be pursuing something, but he was not pursuing Christ. They, in verse 6, it says, as soon as they had, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. I want you to notice this group of people called they, they chose the wrong side. I, I don't know about you, friend, but if I'm there, I think I'd be tempted to get up off the ground and run over onto the other side. The God of this world who had been made flesh just spoke and knocked a hundred and some odd soldiers on their backsides. I'd be tempted to get up, dust myself off, say, I don't know about you fellas, but I'm getting over there. That's where I want to be. So I want to be with Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the night. It doesn't matter what you're about to do to him. That's where the real power is. That's where the real source of life is. I told you I believe that the rest of the book of John is people trying to decide which side they were on. Judas chose the wrong side, and the Bible says that when he, Christ was crucified, he went back with that 30 pieces of silver, and he tried to take it back to the Sanhedrin. They didn't want it. It was blood money. And the Bible says Judas went out, and he hung himself. The Bible puts it this way in Acts that they bought a field called El Kadema and it was called the field of blood and his, his bowels burst forth. And the picture is, is that eventually that, that rope broke or his body decayed and fell to the ground and destroyed. There was nothing left of Judas. Very graphic what happened to his body because he chose the wrong side. You say, you say is it a choice? It is a choice, friend. You can choose to trust in Christ. And I, and I don't mean just trust in Christ. I don't mean just come to church and I don't mean just, just name the name of Christ and I don't mean just sing in the choir and I don't mean just put on a pretense having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. The Bible says we're to turn away from that. But I'm talking about having a genuine relationship with Christ. This is I'll stand no matter what the cost. Your stand is not indicated by your boldness. There's been a lot of unsaved men throughout the years that have had a lot of boldness. Generals that'll march triumphantly into war, not caring about, about their own life, but giving their life for a cause and country. And we can do the same in the name of religion or the same in the name of Christ, but I'm talking about a genuine relationship that will humbly kneel and take upon ourselves the cross of Christ. Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> I 
Look at verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. (coughs) And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Remember what I told you about old Peter? Peter was trying to decide which side is he on. And Peter thought, I'm on the, I'm on the Lord's side. Jesus, say it's not so. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's not safe. Don't talk like that, Jesus. Don't don't say you're going to be betrayed and and crucified and die. Don't talk like that. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. The word Satan means adversary. You're against the things of God. He says, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will, come up, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his angels. So many today are pursuing crowns. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven and get a crown of rejoicing and get a soul winner's crown and get a crown that fadeth not. I'm looking forward to a crown. Listen, friends, if we want to be Christ-like, then the only crown we deserve is a crown of thorns. Jesus says, take up thy cross and follow me. A true follower of Jesus Christ is not looking for comfort and wealth, but he's looking rather to suffer with Jesus Christ, to bear his reproach. Whose side are we on? Look, if you will, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. God help us. Look at verse 31. Old Peter again. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now look at this next phrase. And when thou art converted. Remember Peter's trying to find out what side he's on? And Jesus said, you still gotta be converted. I, I don't believe for a moment that Peter wasn't saved. I, I don't believe he wasn't a child of God. He, he believed that Christ was the son of the living God. And Peter, Peter's the one that, that, that Jesus, when he rose from the grave, said, go and tell the others, and Peter, that I am alive. Make sure Peter knows. 
It was Peter that wept bitterly after he de denied the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there was a genuine relationship there, I believe, with all my heart. But the Bible very plainly says, Peter, when thou art converted, there's some things in your life still need to change. You're still riding the fence. You're still, you're still playing both sides here, Peter. Peter, I need you to get on my side. You'll remember that Jesus was on the seashore preparing a meal. And he called out to the disciples, have you any meat? They said, no, we fished all night, haven't got a thing. He says, let down your nets on the other side for a draft. And they let down their nets. And of course, this was the second time that happened. And for some reason, those disciples just didn't get it. I mean, when, when deja vu comes along, you ought, to, you ought to figure that out. And so finally they pull in and they go, oh, wait a minute. The, fit, the nets are full of fish. And Peter went, it is the Lord. And he stands up and he throws off his coat and he jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And we have that famous exchange, don't we? Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, you know that I love you. But he was saying it like Philadelphia love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and that's what Philadelphia means in the Bible, brotherly love. Philos. Jesus just must have just shook his head a little bit and thought, he's not getting it. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. I love you like a brother. Oh, Peter. Peter, do you love me? And you almost see a tear come to that old fisherman's eye. Lord, you know. You know that I love you. He says, good. Then go feed my sheep. And he says, one day, Peter, you're gonna die for me. Now you understand I'm paraphrasing, right? But he says, he speaketh of the death that one day that Peter would be carried off to death, crucified like Christ was crucified. Peter was finally on the right side. But even after the empty tomb and even after the net full of fishes and even after sitting there in the presence of the risen Christ, sitting there being fed fish off of those coals that Jesus had prepared, even after seeing all of that, Jesus had to ask him three times, Peter, are you, do you, are you in? Yes, I'm in. Good. Because you're gonna need that strength one day. One day you're gonna die for me. You see, we have to decide, folks, what side we're on. Are we willing to die for Christ? Are we willing to give our all? You say, oh, that'll, that'll never happen. Baloney. Do you know that the freedom that we enjoy today to worship freely is a relative rare thing in the history of humanity? For thousands of years and in most countries, people are killed for their faith. This is very rare. And friends, we're not, we're not but a generation from losing it all. What side are we on? When they come with the staves and the spears and the sticks, what side are you gonna be standing on? 
If they come walking through these doors today and pour down these aisles, what side are you standing on? Will you stand for Christ? Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. We won't be much longer. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5. Well, Peter got converted. Took a lot. The conversion that Jesus was talking about and the conversion that took place was long after his salvation. We're not talking about the conversion of his soul. We're talking about his heart and his attitude and giving his all for Christ. I, I gotta tell you, he's still working on me. He's still molding us and making us and changing us every day. In Acts chapter five, we in Acts chapter four, we read that Peter and John came across that man lying at the gate called Beautiful, begging. And he looked up at them expecting to receive something and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man rose up and the Bible says they went into the temple together leaping and praising God. Well, wouldn't you know, the Pharisees wouldn't like that, somebody getting better. Somebody praising God, they couldn't handle that in the temple. And so they got a hold of Peter and John. They found out that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. Would to God that the whole world would find us like that, to see that we have been with Jesus. And the Bible says when they rebuked them from preaching in the name of Christ and they had beaten them, Verse 41 of chapter 5 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. There was a cost to following Christ. Peter was converted and he learned to take up his cross and follow him. And now they're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. Acts chapter nine, uh, Paul, or, or Saul is converted on the road to Damascus and he goes and stays at a place with Ananias. In Acts chapter nine and verse 10, there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus for behold he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem and there he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now look at verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. There's a cost to serving Jesus. And if we're truly going to get on the side of the Lord, we need to learn to take up our cross and follow him to bear his shame. Romans chapter 8, a couple more verses, and verse 17 says, in verse 16, the Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We are joint heirs, and boy, isn't that a wonderful thing? We are joint heirs of heaven and all the glory of God, but friends, we're also joint heirs of his suffering. 
So many people say, I can't wait to rule and reign with Christ. The Bible says we will reign with him if we suffer for his name's sake. There is no crown without the cross. There's no rejoicing without the suffering. I'm not trying to help. I don't want you to think I'm trying to say like the Christian life is all gloomy and doom. There's a lot of joy in serving Christ. There's nothing but joy in this Christian life. Christ gives us the grace that is all sufficient to, to follow after him. But the Bible says sometimes I think we've got a, a misconstrued idea of what it means to suffer for Christ and to, to take up our cross and follow him. In verse 11 of our, our chapter, in John chapter 18, you'll notice this. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? It was ordained of the father that he should suffer. God had given him this cup, and he gives it to us likewise. I'll read you a couple more verses. You don't need to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? One of the marks of a Christian is this. We lay aside our rights. Well, we live in that Laodicean age, the rights of the people. And we pound the pulpit and we demand what we want. We want our rights. Boy, I've never seen anything like it in the election cycle going on in the United States right now. That's what the entire socialist platform is about. It's all about we want women's rights and we want this rights and we want homosexual rights. And we want friends. The Bible says, the Christian says, wouldn't you rather be defrauded? Why don't you lay aside your rights? Why don't you just suffer wrong? Why don't we just accept it? We do it in the church too. We fight and we scrap with one another and we argue. Why? Because we say, I'm right. Hey, it doesn't matter to be right. Why don't you be right with God rather than right with... Just suffer yourself to be defrauded. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Yea, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is part of the cross that we must bear. Turn if we go to Luke chapter 9 and we'll be done. Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> what I'm saying today, friends, is the church, or the world today, does not need to see a church that is militant and marching and bearing spear and sword. Instead, they need to see a humble church that was meek like Jesus Christ was willing to fall upon their knees and their faces before God and plead with him to make a change. That's the kind of army we need. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. <clears throat> and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my, name, for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and he lose himself or be a castaway? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory but in his Father's and of the holy angels. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now look at the key, verse 24. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. <clears throat> Folks, God's 
economy is so different than ours. Years ago, there was a, a movie that came out, The Gospel of John. I have never seen it. I've never seen it. But I did see an interview with the gentleman who portrayed Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it was on a Sunday night, one night after church, I got home and I put on the religious station. I always, I don't know why, I like to hear more preaching when I go home. And I was listening and they had this, this fellow that had played Jesus Christ and he was a believer. I don't know anything about him other than that he believed in Christ. And he said this, I wanted to portray Jesus Christ biblically. So he said, for two years, all I did was read the Gospels over and over and over and over. He says, I just want to share with you in about an hour tonight the things that I learned. He says, and the best way to describe it by introduction is this. Jesus did everything backwards to how I would do it. He says, everything was opposite. He says, you go ahead and lose your life and you shall gain it. But if you try to save your life, you shall lose it. And he went through about 100 scriptures that Jesus just did the opposite of what we would do. In other words, we need to stop thinking this is what's best for me and start trusting Christ that he knows what's best for us. And we need to start taking part in his suffering and bearing our cross daily with a meek and a humble spirit that we're trusting in Christ day by day and saying, Christ, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Because when I get on the other side, do you know what happens? I open up the word of God and the word of God speaks to me and I get knocked on my backside again. But when I'm on the Lord's side, all he does is edify and encourage and help me. Whose side are you on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And it's interesting to see how much Peter learned in just such a short time. So many of us can identify with Peter because he was the... He was the one that was kind of all talk. He was the one that was faith in action. He, he didn't want to sit around and do any, nothing. He wanted to do something for God, and yet it always seemed to get him in trouble. It was when he quietly learned how to trust in Jesus Christ and to walk in the Spirit of God that miraculous things began to happen. Help us, Lord, to make sure we're on the right side. There's many here today that <coughs> know Christ as their Savior. I have no doubt of that. Lord, I can't see their hearts, but their testimony has been clear over the years. And I can confidently say that I believe they know Christ. But are we on the right side? That's a hard issue. Are we converted? Are there still some things that need to be chipped away? Father, help us to grow. May the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. And maybe there are some here today that do not know Christ. I don't believe Judas was ever saved. The Bible, Christ called him a devil. And Lord, maybe we're standing with Judas. Not knowing Christ as our Savior and bound for a place called hell because we've rejected Christ. Father, would one today come and be saved? Would you speak to a heart? Speak to many. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. The instruments begin to play. Let me ask you, first of all, this morning, are you a child of God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe there's one say, Preacher, I'm not sure I've done that. I'm not sure if I were to die today that 
I'd go to heaven or hell. I just don't know. Would you pray for me? Mr. Wine, would you just slip up your hand all across this room? Be sure. Be sure. If you're not sure you're saved, raise your hand. Maybe there's some here today say, Preacher, I, I don't want you to raise your hand. This is none of my business between you and the Lord. But in your heart, you're saying, Lord, I want to be sure I'm on your side. I'm going to decide to take up my cross and follow you. I'm going to decide to be all in. I don't need to be riding the fence. I don't need to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I need to be all in for Christ. Is there one? Just step out and come to this altar and pray. Pray where you are. Do business with God wherever you might be. But do business with God. Brother Baker's going to sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. Let this be your prayer today.